Today's show is brought to you by Neighbors Feed and Seed. While other states like Michigan have deemed seed suppliers to be non-essential businesses, that's not the case here in Georgia. And with a lot of us spending more time at home than usual right now, there's no better time to get all of your gardening needs taken care of. And if you're anything like me, then you don't know how to grow a thing in your yard, but you want to learn. Neighbors Feed and Seed has a knowledgeable staff that will give you fantastic advice on how to grow anything. They offer garden supplies, vegetable plants, bird feeds, chicken feeds, premium pet food, just about anything you can think of. And the best part about it is that they are locally owned by a fantastic group of people. So if you're in the Smyrna area, stop by Neighbors Feed and Seed and say hello. Hello, or check out their website at NeighborsFeedAndSeed.com and tell them the Propaganda Report sent you. Welcome to your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons. Jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story, Trump is suspending immigration into the country. It's not official. They haven't put the pen to paper and written out the rules. He took his own staff by surprise by blurting it out. And now they are scrambling to get it done. So there always has to be like some ridiculous drama surrounding this. But I have an interpretation of this story. But what was your reaction to it? My initial reaction was that that continues this theme of a counter-narrative, speaking out of both sides of the mouth, where we're shutting down immigration on the one hand. On the other hand, we're encouraging all the states to open up. So we're worried about coronavirus. We're not worried about coronavirus. That is part of the schizophrenia here, and it is related to the art of ambiguity. I totally agree. I think there's a few interesting things. Singapore, who was at Ground Zero at Event 201, there were 15 human beings at the table. I don't know who else was just plugged in via the Matrix, but there, one of the human beings at the table was like a, a, a central banker out of Singapore who was the guy who said, isn't it? I don't know if this is the right time, but is this the right time to talk about arresting journalists? for spreading uh, novel coronavirus misinformation. So Singapore is a big part of this. And uh, they have they have initiated a circuit breaker through June 1st where they feel that uh, they that immigrants are bringing the virus in. That is their main concern. So that's coming from someplace. The I, I think it's a good time to remember that one time, Ron Paul was basically laughed almost, you know, he would never leave the stage, but they tried to laugh him off the stage once when he said, hey, you guys are all clamoring for these border walls. Walls can keep you in. And frankly, I think walls are more, they are more useful for containing a place than keeping a place out. You know what I mean? It is more about, and, and at the time people laughed, mocked, how could you ever imagine? But one Black Swan event, one major crisis, one false flag, and the world changes overnight. This is a pandemic. You could have the 9-11 type scenario. If anyone just used their imagination, they realize that what we have is crisis government. We have panic policy. We have, it's just like um, the information. It's like unintentional information is the only information that people believe anymore. Yeah, it's just, leaked information. Or, yeah, yeah, it's just, I, I think I'm going to like coin those unintentional information and panic policy yeah. as the two things that like have now, you know, it's the only, because there's no credibility left. But the most important thing I think about what Trump's talking about, and there was an article in the journal, I mentioned it yesterday, I still have to read it from over the weekend from an author I absolutely detest, so I'm sure it's chock full of propaganda. 
about a return to nationalism. And, and this is this Trump thing. It feels like nationalism. He's the guy to usher in closing the borders for real. He's already set precedents. They're referring to them and all that. But if you remember, and again, I might've mentioned this yesterday, but it's really worth thinking about letting it sink in this Rockefeller foundation document from 2010 identified four possible future scenarios, the scenarios for technology. So it wasn't about pandemics. It wasn't about anything. It was about what are the four futures and how can we, how will information technology play out into that or unfold into that? So I, this goes with my thing of like, um, Cruz, Trump, and maybe even Hillary could have actually been in the running for president that they set them all up. My, my clue was that they all would have legitimacy problems, which to me is an essential element of any kind of presidential thing because right now, because they just do not want democracy to actually function for people to acquiesce. They always want problems. So I feel like, uh, similarly, these guys actually look at, I mean, it really makes sense in trying to figure out how they kind of run the world because you can't plan everything. You can't really micromanage every little detail. I mean, maybe you could, but it just wouldn't be cost effective. So they, they take these four scenarios and they're like, how is this going to work? So now I want to go back and look at the other three. But the one that talked about the pandemic talked about closing borders, about different reactions, about anti-government protests, about more and less authoritarianism, depending on the wealth and resources of the government, how by putting up those national boundaries, you would slow down the World Wide Web, which is on the agenda for sure. And the scenario was called lockstep. So the governments were working together. It's like an alternative underground form of globalism, lockstep. That's how they were thinking of it because in the thing, it made no sense to call it lockstep. It's just as if lockstep is a method, a tactic for, or a disguise for their globalism. I, I think this is really fascinating. That's very interesting what you're saying about getting us into this state, that's what Bernays would do. The con- the flexibility is what he talks about a lot when it comes to creating a propaganda plan. You do an assessment of the public that you're trying to influence. You feel out where they are, and then you put the plans into place based on how you estimate they will react. But as they react, you make adjustments in real time, and you have contingencies ready based on those reactions so that you can meet those reactions and influence people the way that you want them to go. That's actually spelled out step by step in the PSYOPs document before they change the name. I forget what they call them now, information operations, something like that. But they, and that's, I was looking into it because of the Edward Snowden thing. And I saw how they like do a trial balloon, then they can double down or pull back. They can change the yeah. story a little bit. So the, the PSYOPs actually lays it out. But if you just read Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky, he talks about just make lemonade, man. It doesn't even matter. And you've yes. talked about that too. That's an improv theater thing where whatever offer you get a great offer and you spin it to serve your purpose, whatever it is that comes your way. One thing that Trump said during this that I thought was, I mean, it's what I laugh at. He He's talking about the invisible enemy. You know, and I think the invisible enemy historically is like fear, maybe fear. And of course, FDR said the only thing to fear is fear itself. But I feel like, you know, it's a Churchill thing, the invisible enemy. I don't know. I'd have to look up that. But for me, to me, it's an invisible monster. It's an invisible monster. I think it's basically a non-existent monster. And especially since it's super existent, they're saying now that in that LA, 
has many, many, many times as many cases as they originally thought, tens or hundreds of thousands of positives are coming out of the testing they're doing there, which demonstrates, and then somebody, I think it's a mock-up, but had a White House briefing, a hot mic thing, or like, oh, so this has all been a hoax, you know, whatever. I don't buy that. But this article has been pushed within the past 24 hours on me, like by four different people. Yeah, And it's about, there's like a huge... Sir, uh, a much greater number of cases in LA. And the idea is like exactly what I kind of thought this was from the very beginning. A third of all colds are coronavirus. I don't think the testing drills down to this particular strain. And then you could even, you could take that from the top or you go up from the bottom and say in Iceland, they've already, last I looked, which was weeks ago, they had already identified 40 new strains of this exact thing. So there's just no chance these tests are that nuanced. There's, it's just, I can't imagine without using an electron microscope that you could actually get that specific. So I think the reason people are testing positive all over the place is that we all have. We we just carry the stuff around in us. The viruses are weird like that. Yeah, and the test, like you said, we have not been told a specific process that hones down on that specific thing. Maybe there are some that are doing that, but... We there are been, different tests. Yeah, they're different tests. So how do we know which one is accurate, which one is... And we're being told that they're not... None of them are really that accurate, but they're and saying even, it's a false negative instead of a false positive. Yes, and even and I don't even think it's a false positive. I think it's everywhere. I think it's nothing. Yeah. I think it's, you know what I mean? I think it's just what we live with. It's totally natural. More people are still dying of pneumonia than this thing, from what I can tell, although the numbers are unreliable. The CDC, when I look at the provisional death data, I think it was up to 17,000 today. Yet on their homepage, it's much closer to the Johns Hopkins number of 35 or 40,000 or whatever. And they say they defer to the states. But I think, and then I, and then I looked into those protocols and they're kind of nebulous. They were kind of uh, cloudy and, and morphy. They just, to me, if it's not if it's not in, you have an opportunity to put something like four different causes of death. Like, so what, what killed you? And then what caused that? And then what caused that? And then what caused that? And yeah. if it's not on that, if it's not on those four, th- one of those four things, I don't think you can count it as a COVID death. So I think that's why it's showing like that. And another thing they're doing that's really screwy with the numbers is when it says the confirmed cases is like 700 and something thousand, that's cumulative. That is cumulative. So if this thing, if you get better, you should be off that number. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it has to always, always go up. You can't really tell from those numbers that it has peaked or that people don't have it anymore. You know what I'm saying? It yeah. just doesn't make sense. And I've got even more to say about that, but I'll give you a chance Let and me then give I'll you breathe. A quick, <laughs> a quick headline to fit what you're saying about the statistics. Another young person, they like to promote the young people dying on CNN because they're trying to scare children. Five-year-old daughter of first responders die after being diagnosed with coronavirus. Now, the key words there, after being diagnosed with coronavirus, not dies of the coronavirus. They do that little manipulation in the headline. Then you click on it and you actually read it, which most people, like 70% of people will not do. Yeah, at least 70. I would say, yeah, like 99 she died of meningitis. She was <gasps> diagnosed with coronavirus over a month ago. So that was a right. long time ago. Yeah, I don't But she it. died recently, which is terrible. It's terrible. That's terrible. I feel terrible for that family. How did she get it? 
Yeah, meningitis is a horrible, painful. I don't know. I just saw this headline come up a second ago, yeah, and I, right. I breezed through the article. But I mean, but... do you think so? She had the meningitis probably before she got it. I'm asking if there's any chance we think that the COVID led to meningitis. That might be what they're implying, but right. I, I would. But they would have said it. Yes, I've learned that when you can directly call show a cause of something then they do it in the headline because that is where people read but when they can't they do these little word manipulations and i think i actually believe it's just my opinion that the reaction is the crisis not just like that it's destroying our economies but that you take a little girl who has a cold or flu or bronchitis or even pneumonia and it's in a normal flu season you just you just Tough it out. I mean, I never, ever, ever take my kids to the doctors or the emergency room. Very, very rarely in my whole life do I ever do that. But right now, my husband's a normie. He would, he would tell me to do that if they got sick. And then you would expose them to all those awful, awful germs that are in a hospital. Yeah, that's where meningitis could be. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. if she was sick and went to the hospital when she would not normally have gone to the hospital, she would have been exposed to a much dangerous, more dangerous situation than normal. And that could be why these things are having a higher fatality rate than you would expect. Yeah. So they are eager to push those numbers up because they want to frighten people. Let me clarify something again. Lockstep, are you saying that lockstep is like an underground type of globalism? I'm saying that... I've been saying all along for this thing, COVID, I've been saying to the point where I felt I was too repetitive and it would be annoying, an annoying use of our time. And I've been saying it for a month already or two months. Anybody who thinks that voting Democrat or Republican is it makes any sense at all, it's going to make any difference, please observe that every government from local, municipal, state, federal, to even global, international, whatever, as well as judiciary, ex- executive, administrative, and legislative are all acting in lockstep. And that's what I have been oh, saying. Those right. are the words I have been saying. Yeah, so been. when... I have been, right. So I know you'd recognize it because I said it like 50 million times because when I see people saying like, don't forget to vote Republican, I'm like, can you just please, can we please get past this? It is so obvious that it does not matter who you vote for. They put that drama up there. Nothing could be more obvious at Kabuki Theater than Fauci, who works for Trump, being the villain that Trump could actually fire him. And then when you go to that Rockefeller Foundation report from 2010 saying scenarios for the future of of technological development or information technology, something like that, they have four potential scenarios and there's one inexplicably called lockstep there's no reason for it to be called lockstep like the subtitle is a pandemic that reduces innovation and increases uh anti-government protests it has absolutely nothing to do with nothing it does and as a matter of fact it drills down to how different nations are reacting differently ultimately i have to go read that for like a third time because i'm thinking now that the hidden message there, the very thinly veiled message there is we're all in this for the globalism. So how are we doing it in this one? This time we're doing it in just lockstep. And I've been saying that for a long time. Like you can take the world, you can take the economy. I've been saying that about USMCA. You don't need a UN to have a gun now. You don't need the UN to have the police. You don't need, you don't need the actual organization to have the actual power. You can just go through the back door and change all these laws. The way Bloomberg made smoking illegal in New York. They tried to pass it, tried to pass it, they couldn't. So he just made it a regulation and then it just happened. 
happened. And that's how how trade laws go. Trade is going to change. The USMCA is going to change everything from labor law to environmental law to everything under the guise of just a trade regulation. So they can do all of that stuff in lockstep. And then they talk about how they have advisory councils. They actually refer to the CFR and how to get the the North American Union going, they referred to having a backdoor organization and they actually referred by name to Bilderberger as saying the Bilderbergers, that kind of an organization is how the legislatures get legislators, get their marching orders. So this stuff is the backdoor stuff, but they all then operate in lockstep and just look around you. You can see it. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but like that's what it is and that's what they yeah. call it. That's exactly what it is that, again, I harp on this book. I tell people, go read it. Know that even this is a whitewash, but even in the whitewash, it still is pretty open about its form the of The propaganda thing from World War One. Yeah, the, the Committee on Public Information, how we advertised America. It's this art of propagandizing by getting these influencers in every industry, every it's demographic, not, I don't, every I think it's, society. I'm not talking about propaganda. I'm not talking about propaganda. I'm talking about backdoor marching orders that informally get all of these legislators and actors to get on the same page, not because they're propagandized, but because they're giving orders. And you're saying that we consent to it because of the propaganda. I, yeah, I'm saying that we consent to it, but also right. those influencers, they target those influencers and they get them on board. Sometimes yes. they pressure yes, them yes, with, yes. with, with, with threats, but other times it's this is your no, civic duty I, to do this. It's almost all that. It's almost, I agree with you there. It's almost Almost, almost all of them are just, and I really, I feel like I've almost witnessed it. I can't remember. Tom Hanks is right now. Where I'm, to... I'm saying like when, when you sit there, it's almost like that's why they didn't, like Connecticut didn't let the cops have an IQ above a certain number. Yeah. It's like you go into these politicians and stuff and, you know, you think the people in high places are so super smart, but not too many of them really are. And what they, what you do, like you look at Michelle Bachman, like I did know a couple of politicians over the years. And they just have this way of completely grasping the paradigm that is put before them to the point where if they were a little smarter, they might not be able to pull it off. And when they, it's like when I say, when I say, you know, a lot of the radio shows are just people demonstrating or people think they're smart because they can read the Wall Street Journal and they get it. So they can tell you what the Wall Street Journal article means. And I'm saying, yeah. I can tell you what the Wall Street Ar Journal article is hiding. Yeah. I can tell you what it's hiding. Right. So so that's what makes these people work. Wall Street Journal is the blueprint, right? They're just telling you. You know what is actually the blueprint? Foreign Affairs. Yeah. Which is the CFR publication. And I knew somebody who was involved in it. And he said to me once, and I really didn't know anything about it. I'm just remembering. And he said to me once, oh, that's our magazine. That's the one I read. And I was like, our magazine? I don't even understand. Now I think back, I was like, oh. <laughs> An elitist magazine. Well, it was his particular, like he was engaged, involved, I guess, in the Council of Foreign Relations. And that's yeah. the stuff that he felt he needed to know. And that was the narrative he operated with that he accepted. And you're actually not bad off doing that. Because they shadows. are telling you what's yeah. happening, right? So if you're if you're a banker or a lawyer or whatever, you believing that, you know, that I don't make that much money. If I ever dabble in stock, I've lost, I don't even do it. If I have a few bucks and I lose it, except for this time. <laughs> I did buy that in Novio. Uh, it's not much, but whatever. But they but the real the real money makers absolutely are in lockstep with the with the narratives.
they, you know, they're a little sharper. They get ahead of it. They know who to listen to. I don't know how to do it that way. But anyway, you're right. They have blueprints. They have instruction manuals. And most of them don't even know that's what they're doing. One of the ways they do it, and they mock them when you read these materials from the 20s and 30s when they're Edward Bernays and all them, they talk about, well, you just put these leaders around dukes and lords from Britain from these royalty, and they'll do anything that you suggest to them to, to do. And Colonel House did that for Woodrow Wilson, and they talked about how they wanted a person who was isolated from the rest of the world. FDR fit that bill perfectly because he's in a wheelchair. And then you see people like Obama and Trump, whose kind of reputation is they don't, Trump said, I don't even have a computer, I think I heard him say once. And Obama supposedly just like watched sports and smoke cigarettes, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, they, I really feel like they found, now unlike Clinton, who, who was, I think, Bill Clinton, you know, they got, you know, he did a lot of partying, so he was distracted by vice, so maybe he wasn't really a threat like that, but he was smart enough to handle it, I think. But they, but they don't even want that. They just want people who stovepipe, who can be stovepiped. Well, they got plenty of stove people piping, like that. Stovepiping, which is, you know, to clarify, stovepiping is what John Pol- Bolton, like, basically brought that into the lexicon, I'd like to say, where the stovepipe is big stove, potbelly stove, has got lots and lots of information, but the stovepipe narrows the flow up. Yeah. So that if you think you have all the facts, there might seem to be only one course of action. But if you don't know both sides of the story, you wouldn't know that you as president are making a choice. Now, Trump is going to walk around thinking, I I know what I I made this decision in five seconds flat because I'm so smart. It's like, "Mm, I'm sure you made the decision in five seconds flat. (laughs) Yeah. Someone else narrowed the options for you. John Bolton probably. Right. So Georgia has become the center of the culture war again today and last night after Governor Kemp announced that we will be some believe prematurely opening back up, so to speak. Now, the opening back up isn't as clear cut as it might seem. It's kind of if you can maintain social distance, which I don't know how you're going to maintain social dis- distance in a gym with sweat everywhere. Maybe three people can come at a time, but he says the gyms can open back up. He says the restaurants, I think this is going to be next week, the restaurants can open back up. And the movie theaters, as long as they can maintain the proper social distance, and he gives the caveat that if there is a hot spot that reemerges, then he will take whatever action is necessary. But even this measure has drawn backlash from Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, the mayor of Tybee Island. Basically, every Democrat in Georgia, including Stacey Abrams, has come out and said, this is dangerous. Georgia's cases are still on the rise. He's going to kill people. This is not going to be good. And Sanjay Gupta spent about 10 minutes on CNN last night talking about how terrible of an idea this is, how we're going to see a rise in cases, and how this is dangerous, and how scared he is because he lives in Georgia. So I think Georgia, there's a possibility that we are being set up to be the example of the, the bad example of how to handle opening back up and it would make perfect sense because just like in 2018 with Stacey Abrams we are the center of the culture war absolutely and yesterday you and I talked about this in basically the exact terms that I saw a headline today I mean I was like we are really nailed that one it, the headline I saw today was Democrats in Georgia predict reopen will endanger <laughs> public health I mean we that we used to do a hashtag like tomorrow's headlines today you yeah, and I did yeah. every once in a while it's just funny now I just do what to watch out for so I can search for it easily later but yesterday we basically crafted that headline ourselves yeah that's what it was and and i'll tell you kemp 
Kemp is what I think Trump is. Like Kemp is an actor that operates completely above the parties. And I think that because he gets a pass. Like Stacey Abrams could have brought him to his knees if he if she had picked up the baton or the gauntlet that Garland Favrito, a voter GA, had thrown down for the Kemp's malfeasance as Secretary of State in the 2016 election, plus what he did to Cagle. Casey Cagle, that was his name, right? Where yeah. he had another deep, deep political uh, family who Cagle absolutely trusted wear a wire yeah. and get him to say Blagojevich type stuff, <laughs> which has two sides to it as well. But I mean, that was a crazy thing for somebody to do. I mean, if Kemp was really just a Republican, he never would have done that, in my opinion. And now he's like the clown. He's kind of a clown. I mean, I've always disliked him, and uh, and and he's playing. He will be playing right into their hands, and I think he knows damn well what he's doing, or doesn't care. He's or he's like just dumb enough that, yeah, you know, they picked him. I want to read what Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, said because you've been talking about something that she mentions here. She says, "I'm perplexed that we have opened up in this way." And again, I can't stress enough. I work very well with our governor, and I look forward to having a better understanding of what his reasoning is. But as I look at the data, and as I talk with our public health officials, I don't see that it's based on anything that's logical. So she looks at the data. You know, I got, I told you a couple of times, somebody sent me the SITREP situation report from private security in a private analysis um, company in California. And it said a couple of times, like the data says a peak in mid-April. I do not know why the governor keeps saying a peak in mid-May, why he extended the lockdown another month. The data does not support that. And when I looked, oh, this is interesting. I have some data about that. I happened to look at the um, the provisional death toll on CDC website, which is a separate page from their, their splashy headline that matches Johns Hopkins, which has very high numbers. This one is the provisional death toll in total is 17,000. So far on the CDC provisional death toll. That's a lot less than they're saying in the news. Way, way less than half. And the CDC has on another page the higher number, which they say they defer to the kind of um, more casual reporting out of the states. I think the CDC has just taken it from um, death certificates. And the total death numbers of like whatever 600,000 so far during that period in this country completely track with what it should be. So it doesn't look like there's a huge lag in the numbers. I really don't understand it. And as I started to dig in, like pages disappeared on me from the CDC, like, oops, that doesn't exist anymore. I'm like, okie dokie. But what I looked at, so I went back and I looked at the weeks, it it lists deaths by week. And it said the highest, so I saw the week ending April 4th was 6,500 deaths on this provisional report. The week ending April 11th was 6524, <clears throat> slightly higher. The week ending 418, which was last week, 1231. So it peaked the week before last, you know, 10 days ago, let's say, absolutely peaked and plummeted the week after. So that mid-April peak, which is what that sit rep thing said for California, seems to have been accurate nationwide. And so what data is she looking at? That's exactly. exactly the question. She might be looking at the increased cases, but that's a cumulative number. It cannot be true because unless those, it takes 14 days for it to 
manifest maybe 14 days to cycle through your system. I have something to say about that. I'll have to save it for the patient 15. But as you, it cannot still be true that 800,000 people have it. A lot of those people have to not have it anymore. So it could be that, but that's by definition of just making it a cumulative number. It's always going to slant upwards. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to know what data she's looking at because that's how it works. They say, well, we're looking at the data, yes, we're yes. looking at the science, and this yes. is the conclusion we draw. But they never tell us what data, what science specifically that they're basing their decisions on. It's it just yeah. like the news in general. It's no evidence, anonymous sources. They, they are actually training us to have faith in news and faith in science. I mean, that's not news to anybody, but I'm just saying we think of science as something you can prove. You think of news stories as something that has evidence and sources you can evaluate. And they have really made it clear that it's downright unpatriotic or inhumane to actually probe the this evidence. I mean, you see, it's actually you can't even making ask my questions. head explode a little yeah. bit right now because I'm thinking like, yes, when you start asking the questions, they call you an idiot or a Republican. Or a medical worker hater. And that is where this is really going hardcore right now. There, We talked about yesterday the, quote, the medical worker who was protesting by st- anti-protesting, counter-protesting. Yeah, the, buff, the buff male nurse. By standing in front of a car. We don't know if that's a medical worker. I've been joking around with people saying, you want to make sure you don't get pulled over? You don't want to make sure you don't, if you don't have your papers with you, then just wear scrubs everywhere and they'll be like, oh, it's a medical worker and you'll be able to get through. We have no idea if that's a medical worker. That's a great idea, by the way. But yeah, thank you. So yeah. today, they, the nurses, like a, a nursing union has announced that they are going to be, I think tomorrow they're doing a protest at the White House where they are going to be demanding that Trump use the National Defense Production Act to make more <laughs> PPEs, which is personal protective I Oh, I learned that equipment. from the Event 201. Yes, personal protective equipment. There you go. <laughs> I never heard that before. It used to mean property, plant, and equipment, but Event 201 schooled me. And, I, and that was part of their call to action, by the way, is to get people used to working in PPE. Yeah, the, but the PPE, they seem to have it. Correct. I mean, maybe <laughs> I'm wrong on this, but every time I've heard about the PPE, it's been... Well, we might run out of it soon, so we need a whole bunch more of it. And then we created a bunch more of it, and then we found out most of the hospitals are pretty much empty, and the stuff isn't being used, so they're transferring it to different states. I'm not sure. I want to know where these shortages are that they're demanding that more PPEs be made because unless I see that, it just seems like a nursing union is demanding that Trump engage in fascism. Is it going to jump through like normal clothes? Do you need like that? paper jumpsuit to put over your normal clothes because I guess so. you're going to get it through your belly button. It's funny because my son who has Down syndrome was like, oh, I can't believe it. I was like, you want to come to the store with me? He's like, I forgot my mask. I said, oh, you have a mask? He's like, yeah, you know, my werewolf mask. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to come to the store with like an animatronic werewolf mask that roars yeah, and everything. Fantastic. I'm totally, oh yeah, like I, I'm I'm all for it. Trust me. <laughs> and even even more, he could go up to people wearing that mask who aren't wearing masks and say, why aren't you wearing your mask? <laughs> but yeah, everyone looks like a freaking terrorist. Everybody. You look at people. I don't even have, I don't even look at people anymore. I'm just like, I don't have to look at you because you can't see me. I'm invisible. Yet if you're I not, am the invisible yes. monster. Yet if you're not wearing a mask, they look at you like you're the terrorist. <clears throat> I'm telling you, it's really uncivilized. My mother always taught me to look people in the eye and smile, even if you were just passing them. 
And now like it that? freaks me yeah. out. Yeah. I can't smile. So then I'm just looking at them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I know you got to read their eyes. <laughs> I know. No, it's really messed up. Anyway, I want to tell you my, uh, <clears throat> that my thing about the Milwaukee voting People who voted are spreading the Rona, I'll tell you, in the Patron 15. All right, and I have a follow-up on Chris Cuomo, who has emerged from quarantine, but we'll see if that's really the case in the 15. You can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropport.com or your favorite podcasting platform. And share the show Tuesday, and it was a great show, so share it, tweet it, share it on Facebook. Send it to a friend, a loved one, someone who needs a little uplifting, humorous Absolutely. Company. And if you want access to that extra 15 minutes that we post every time we post a DNB, go to patreon.com slash the propaganda report and become one of our patron saints. Five bucks a month, less nice. than 15 bucks a day <laughs> or any level that you want to donate to help support the show. We appreciate everything we get. Yeah, and extra is good. I'm yes. still not covering the babysitter. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we will talk to you guys tomorrow.